pictures of what heaven will look like in Revelation, we can see that there are streets of gold, precious stones, the tree of life makes a reappearance, uh, and the river of life shows up flowing down the center. And there's a lot in the book of Revelation about the infrastructure of heaven, what it's going to look like uh, when we experience the new heaven and the new earth. But this passage in particular ignores the infrastructure and instead looks at the population of heaven. I love it most of all because it doesn't look like me. It's every nation, it's every tribe, it's every people, every language represented. And they're all represented before the throne of God. It will be a day more amazing than any concert you've been to, more amazing uh, than any sporting event, better and more glorious than any worship service, and more memorable than any summer camp experience that you've ever had. But how do we get there? Uh, Apart from being saved ourselves, how do we see this picture of Revelation 7, 9 through 10 play out? The answer is found in part in Matthew 24, and I'm going to read that here. Matthew 24, I'm actually going to read a little bit of it, 3 through 14. And this is about Christ speaking with the disciples. It says, he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. You will hear rumors of war. And you'll hear of war and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquake in various places. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then Many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness and the increase of it, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom of God will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the king, the the end will come. Uh, The king will come as well, but it says the end will come, and when the end comes, uh, we read again in Revelation uh, 7, 9, and 10, as we heard in the video, and it says this, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with white palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Now, when we take these passages together, the Matthew passage, and we take it together with the other passage from Matthew, there's a very real sense that the end is tied to the preaching or the sharing of the gospel of, of, of Christ in all places among all people. Did you know that this still hasn't happened? According to the Joshua Project, there are 17,466 unique people groups in the world. Of all of those, approximately 7,400 of them are considered unreached. unreached. And out of those, 218 are considered unengaged, unreached. So let's define a few things here real quick. An unreached people group, that 7,400, 
It's an, an, an identifiable group of people distinguished by a distinct culture, language, or social class who lack a community of Christians able to evangelize the rest of the people group without outside help. The only opportunity for the people group to hear about salvation is through an external witness. Most missiologists consider 2% of the population becoming Christian or Christ followers as the tipping point, at which point the group is considered reached with the gospel. They have been engaged, um, but, but are not fully reached. But at least they're, they're the beginning of, a, of considering what a reached people group is when you reach 2%. Now, an unengaged, unreached people group, that 218 people groups that remain, according to a study called Finishing the Task, there are 218 remaining unengaged, unreached people groups numbering over 5.7 million people in the world that are still beyond the reach of the gospel. These 218 ethnic groups are perhaps the neediest of the needy as they are unengaged, which means that they have no church, no missionary, or no mission agency. No one has yet taken up the responsibility to tell them the gospel of Christ. Here's an idea in this next video, what it's like to live in a place without the gospel and what can happen when the gospel is faithfully shared. Before Christ, I lived in a house with a demon. When I was growing up in a Hindu family, a demon possessed my mom every week. Hindus actually believed my mom was a goddess they called me son of the goddess. I was 25 years old when someone shared the gospel with me and Christ changed me and my entire family. I was no longer the son of the goddess, but son of the living God. As a new believer, I didn't know where to start, but God called men and women into my life to disciple me, to teach me and to walk alongside me as I shared Christ with friends, family and strangers. When God called me into ministry, these men and women, these missionaries became my close friends and partners. We looked out over big cities and tiny villages, choking on false beliefs they had inherited, and we begged God to breathe life into them, and God answered. God used us and other believers to draw a harvest of dozens, hundreds, and thousands to Christ. Together with my partners, I organized these Christians into house churches, we encourage them in evangelism and we disciple them in God's word. The churches kept growing and the gospel kept going out. Dawn has come for gospel work in South Asia. Join your South Asian brothers and sisters. Join the IMB as laborers in the greatest harvest field in the world. Now is the time. Now it's your turn. This is one of the reasons I love Chicago and the greater Chicago area so much. People ask me all the time if I like living in Chicago, and I, it seems like they're always surprised when I say yes. I love Chicago and the, and the greater area because Chicago is diverse, and the peoples of the world are represented here, just like the gentleman that we met a moment ago. We have access to the people of the world right here in our very own front yard. But even more importantly, I love Chicago because Christ loves Chicago, and he died for it. See, Jesus' plan for reaching the world, for some reason, includes you and me. I, that's the way God designed it. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, Jesus has called us to be part in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 16, 15 and 16 says, And, I, and he said to them, Go into all the world 
and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Get, just focus in on that whole creation for a moment. That's kind of what we're talking about today. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. For some reason, we struggle to complete the mission we've been assigned. Mission work across the world for a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, we've romanticized. I know um, uh, I always kind of thought, wow, uh, you know, there's, there's like various levels of the Christian life. You become a, a follower of Christ, then maybe you get to do some, um, some leading in the church. Maybe you get to, to do a Bible study. Maybe you become a, a deacon. Uh, maybe the Lord calls you to, to study and to become a pastor. And then at, at the top of that, you know, maybe you, you do some other, there's, there's a lot of other things you can do in the Christian life in there. But, but at the top of that pyramid, if you will, was always foreign missions, being a foreign missionary. And, and for some reason, we've romanticized that. Maybe it's um, just to, to help people to fall in love with the idea of being obedient to Christ. But for one reason or another, we've made it glorious and honorable and easy in some ways to take the gospel of Christ to people who are, who are over there, those people. We make it easy to give money. We make it easy to, to get involved and to pray. And sometimes I think we fool ourselves into thinking that that's enough now, mission at home in our own neighborhood, in our own school, in our own workplace, that's different, isn't it? It's, that's complicated. We're afraid of it. It's scary. But it's something that God has called us to do. You might wonder what it's like being a missionary overseas. Um, I've got a, another video here that I want you to check out and listen to some missionaries describe their lives on the field. So what we want to do is just ask you about your time on the field. Oh, I could tell stories upon stories. Do I take the glasses off? Or All right. We want the uncut version. Okay. I thought you were going to let me think about these questions before you ask them to me. <laughs> All right. You ready? First question. When you think back on your time overseas, what brings you joy? Mm. It's the relationships, sharing of life, the sharing of who Jesus is. The greatest joy of my time overseas definitely is people. 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 It's the people. 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 That the people that I got to meet. The lives that were changed. It's the people. People. It's definitely is people that flash before my eyes when I think about joy on the field. What's one thing you wish you had known when you first went overseas that you know now? You really are not in control. I'm totally dependent on God. My best efforts would never get it done. Just been more genuine instead of more calculating. How integral my kids could be in ministry in a developing country that was very close to the gospel. How much the people become your family? that if you're not passionate about reaching lostness where you are, it's not going to grow when you go to a foreign land. To what degree did the Lottie Moon Christmas offering impact your work? There is no way we could have gone where we went without Lottie Moon. Tires were expensive to replace. I think he had the record in Kenya, changing 60 flats in one year. Wheelchairs. Textbooks. Housing. Surgery. 
solar panels. Honda 185 motorcycle. It was kids on the back of this thing. Motocross all the way to church on Sunday. Torn Achilles, a shoulder surgery. Without the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, I would be a mess. You know, I never would have gotten to the field if it wasn't for the local church. More than just an offering. Every penny that was given. Crucial, vital. Literacy work, education opportunities. A refugee center. Health care. We put in almost 300 wells. Trained church planters. Strategic. Lifeline. Cooperative effort for the gospel around the world. How has serving overseas changed you? I think no one could have told me when I moved overseas what it was like to be a minority. More sensitive to the needs of people around me. Rather than seeing a people group, I see people. More attuned to God's leadership. Ultimately confident in God. In your opinion, what do you think church leaders could do to increase involvement overseas? Marry the legacies of the past with the challenges of the future. Model what it means. Go yourself. People in the church will follow the example of their church leader. By giving them a vision for missions, not just as something that happens when you get on an airplane, but helping them become stronger disciples of Christ in their own community. If we're involved in global work, it will impact our local work. He's brought the nations here. Refugees, migrant workers. Entrepreneurs looking for new ways to get into countries. The opportunities really are limitless. Last question. Being a missionary is blank. Whew. Just being who you are as a Christian. A calling? It's something that Jesus has asked all of us to do. It's making disciples. A challenge. An exciting adventure. It didn't look anything like I thought it was gonna look. Waking up every day and asking, where is the Father at work and what would he have me do? To live out my life for Jesus in front of other people no matter where I live. There's nothing like it, nothing. In closing this morning, I, uh, I wanted to remind you that we are taking our offering for international missions. We do this every Christmas season. It's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions. Lottie Moon was a missionary in China, in case you haven't heard me say that a number of times, uh, and you didn't know why it had such a strange name. The, the offering is named after a faithful missionary who moved to China and, and served there for many years and died on the field. And so there's a mission offering named after her. We take this every uh, Christmas season. Uh, we emphasize it and set a goal. This year, our goal is $1,000. And as of last Sunday, we're about halfway there. So we're at a, a little over 500. So uh, we're getting there. We're getting close. We're going to continue to take that offering uh, the rest of this year, which is today. Uh, and then we'll continue on through January. And our hope is to, to reach the goal by the end of January. Now, uh, we'll keep you updated, of course, as we reach that. But you might remember over the summer, we had friends join us on a Sunday, uh, Josh and Bailey Krauss, who are missionaries to Poland, missionaries who were on the field when we were there. In fact, missionary was a, 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 Bailey was a, a missionary team member, if you will, on my team. I was her supervisor for a number of years. Uh, they were here one Sunday over the summer, and they and their, uh, their children were here, and they spent the Sunday talking with us and, and even took the service time to share with us what their life and their work and their mission is like in Poland. 
and they have prepared a short video for us, and we're going to go ahead and watch that. It's very short. It's just a minute long. Um, so check out this video uh, about Josh and Bailey and their work, and continue to pray for them as they go about their mission work in Poland. For those who don't know, we're Josh and Bailey, and we're with the International Mission Board in Poland. We wanted to make a quick video to thank you for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Because of your giving to Lottie Moon, we're able to be here, helping equip Polish churches to engage Polish people with the gospel in new ways. We've been helping our churches expand their online ministries, host evangelistic events, and brainstorm about ways to plant new healthy churches while keeping the existing ones uh, flourishing. In 2022, we're hoping to see even more outreach opportunities to families, public servants in our community, and all of our neighbors. We're expecting God to lead seekers to Bible studies and church communities as they seek answers to deep questions that so many are asking in this season. But we couldn't be here without your support. Faithfully praying for us and all of our 3,700 fellow workers around the world, giving through the cooperative program and Lottie Moon Christmas offerings, and sending out labors short-term and long-term overseas and right there in Missouri. So thank you for your faithfulness and have a wonderful Christmas season. Well, that wraps it up for me this morning, Elmwood Park Community Church family. I enjoyed doing this and 